we encourage the interaction between our staff and our guests. And, you know, a lot of our team members have developed longtime friendships. I mean, some of them have fallen in love with people that they've dealt with. I mean, one of our guys got married <laughs> to a customer. So, I mean, we promote the interaction with our guests so that people do feel like they have someone that they know when they come in. And, you know, we've always really encouraged us to try to make our guests feel at home. Like we invited them to our own dining room or, or living room. What is up, you beautiful bastards? It is your boy, Pistachio, a.k.a. Rabbi Can't Lose, a.k.a. Noah Kagan. In today's episode, I talk to Roberto Espinoza of Taco Deli in Austin, Texas. Yes, this is my favorite taco restaurant in the whole wide world, and I've spent years trying to get him on the show for you. As well, he has spent over 20 plus years creating the most amazing tacos in the world. This episode did not disappoint, and whether you want to run a restaurant like him or any type of business, I loved his slow and steady philosophy that we can all learn from. In this conversation, you're going to enjoy three gigantic things. Number one, how he runs a business. By the way, it took him over one year to release a scallop taco, just to give you some ideas. Number two, why they didn't hyperscale like some other competitors. And three, his business and life philosophy. You're going to enjoy those three things, plus a bunch more air nuggets along the way. Also, thank you. Yes, you. This is a plug for you. Uh, I love you and every single one of you listeners. That is it. And l- last week, for the first time in a long time, I looked at the stats of this podcast, and y'all are still listening. And the show's even growing a little. Uh, it means a lot to me and our team, and I truly hope each and every one of these episodes enhances your life. And also, if you want to see more content from us and helping you on your own business journey, you can go to youtube.com slash okdork, where our team puts out two to three juicy business videos every week to help you. That's youtube.com slash okdork. Also, a special pre-show shout out to listener Cyrus789. He left a review saying, Noah, takes me back to Cal when your voice fills my car. I look forward each week to your case studies and interviews. Damn, man, I really appreciate you. And again, all you other gorgeous listeners, if you want to shout out in a future episode, leave a review anywhere online. I check every single one of them. Dude, it is good to see you. Good to see you. You moved to the West Coast, right? I moved there for a little bit. I was in uh, California last year, but I've been, I've been in Austin. I'm always going to be here. I got back maybe like four months ago. Okay, gotcha. About when I stopped riding my bike and seeing all your, all your awesome rides that you were getting on. There's a lot of riding out here, man. Yeah, it's been good. I try to ride to Taco Deli. It's one of my, my go-tos. Nice. When you do the dirt, go down the green belt. Yeah, exactly. Or like sometimes I try to go up north, mix it up a bit. Have you haven't been riding? No, I, I stopped. Once daylight savings hit, I have a six and a four-year-old and my rides were at 5.30 or 6 in the morning. And daylight savings uh, kind of ruined my plans. It was not getting light. And then my boys are up at 6.30 or 7. So it's like just everything just imploded, man. But I was getting a lot of rides in again. Felt good to get back out there, you know? It does, man. It does. It's funny. It's like I've been feeling kind of like it was raining two days ago and I'm indoors. And then I got outside for a bike ride and I was like, oh, I'm happy again. You got to get that blood moving. Yeah, I'm playing tennis again. So I'm getting some action, but I miss getting on the bike. So I can't wait for it to get warm and start to get lighter in the mornings a little bit earlier again. So you ever tried any of these like night rides? I mean, you got a family, kids and, you, you know, the business and stuff. But, but sometimes I've been trying to do these like nighttime, like flashlight rides. Well, I've got a pretty good light. I bought a good light last year that I could definitely hit some nighttime riding or early morning riding is what I did it for. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So I was riding in the dark for about 30 minutes before daylight savings made it the full hour, hour and a half ride, you know, so. And traffic's back. So I don't know if I feel that safe out there, frankly. It's not back full tilt. 
but it's getting there. It is. Do you have any go-to loops or where, where are you going? Man, I've got a bunch. I mean, I would go west, east, south. I mean, you name it. I really liked when I did in-town loops, go up uh, Shoal Creek and then up to the neighborhood uh, just north of, oh, what's that country club up there off of 183? So you go into that neighborhood, kind of Jollyville Road and kind of loop back down. If I leave from my house and I do that loop, it's good 30, 35 miles. Oh, wow. That's a good ride, man. Yeah. You ride with Jimmy? Yeah, Jimmy's still with us. He was just here just a little bit ago. He's a Cat 1, yeah. All his buddies on his racing team are Cat 1s or 2s. They're pretty solid. Yeah, I'm not really a cat guy. I'm more of a dog guy, if you know what I mean. <laughs> but uh, this cat, cats are like, uh, it's the ranking of how badass you are in cycling, and Cat 1 is like almost pro. Yeah, pretty damn close to pro. Those guys could hang on a train ride. Well, the thing with Jimmy, he looks like it. If Jimmy looked like that and wasn't fast, I'd be concerned. You know, one thing is so impressive about you, man, like, besides obviously the restaurant, which is, you know, my favorite on earth. Well, thank you. You've had the same people for a long time. That's like unorthodox, I would say, in uh, in your industry. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Jimmy's one of them. Uh, Chelly, one of our head cooks. She's kind of my second in command. She's been with us for probably 17 years. We've got a staff member up in Gracie Farms that's been with us almost the entire time for 21 years. Of course, Eric and I, I'm a business partner, and I have been doing this for 21. Dude, I met you, I think, when I only had one restaurant. Yeah, I met you in uh, 2000, I think, or 2005. It was early 2000s, right? Yeah. Yeah, because we opened our second one in 05. When did you open the first one? 99? 99. End of 99. November. That's a lot of tacos. Isn't that crazy to think about? That's a lot of tacos, man. Is that crazy to you? Like, when you say that out loud, like, what goes in your mind, man? Like, 21 years of tacos. God, I mean, I, I'd like to tell you that it's, like, daunting or that I get some kind of weird feeling. But, man, I just, it just feels like yesterday. I mean, it just feels like we're still building the business. It still feels like Eric and I are very involved and having the ability to influence what's going on. I mean, it's still very motivating, you know? It is humbling to know that we've had the support from the community and from our staff and all the people that have kind of helped us get here to really put that timeline in perspective. I mean, that's a lot of people. Totally. Now that you made me think about it, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start choking up. Why is that? The idea of the number of people that we've touched, it's pretty special. It really is. You know, there's just been a lot of people that, have either passed through or stayed or been customers for a long time. You know, we still have a bunch of new customers coming in. You know, I think it's very special. It's not only that you created it, but you've also sustained it. You know, anyone can make a dish once or open one restaurant, but you guys have just like done it consistently for, you know, 21 years. I literally was reading in the, this morning. It's like most restaurants fail after one day or, you know, whatever crazy stat someone made up. They're real. I think it's 50% after the first year, and then of that 50%, another 50% after the second year, and I think it goes on through year five. So making it in the business is tough. You know, unfortunately, right now with what we're going through, a lot of people were forced to make that decision. I'm kind of curious your, your life philosophy. I think knowing limitations and knowing what you can do is important. I think being honest with yourself is always pretty key. Like, what are some experiences that you've had around keeping it real or some of the limitations of what you can and can't do? On a business level, like what we do in the restaurants, we know what space we want to be in. You know, we're in the casual counter service taco business, right? And with my background, my 
experience of growing up in Mexico City and moving to the States. And, you know, I've always felt that I really wanted to keep a very traditional menu in the sense that I'm not going to put something on the menu that is so creative that it has no connection to my roots or to what I know of to be Mexican food. So anything that we create, I really want to have a touch point in the Mexican food playbook. And that, that to me is making sure that we're not going outside of our lane and it keeps us focused and it keeps us pretty in a way disciplined and not just going crazy. Like, Oh, we're going to create this crazy ass taco that doesn't really make sense to me personally. You know, I know a lot of people do very cool, creative things, but just for me personally, it has to have some boundaries and some definition. Have you guys ever ventured outside the lane? Not professionally. I mean, I personally, I cook a lot of different food, but we did used to have a really extensive catering menu when, when I first started out. And uh, we kind of dabbled in some really neat stuff. And we did that for about seven or eight years. So we had a very specialized menu. We would create items for our customers. It was really a way to get our name out there and kind of build awareness. But it became really difficult to manage because we had so much to create and to do and managing customers and all that. So we really ended up deciding, let's focus on what we know how to do well, and that's tacos. So we did that a little bit early on. I mean, but, you know, nothing crazy. It was caterings of 50 to 150 at tops. The thing you made me reflect on was how much of what you guys started from the beginning, you're just still doing today. So. What I find fascinating about your business is that you guys started off with local ingredients from, 90, I think in 99 or 2000, you guys were talking to local ingredients. You let your employees dress what they wanted to back in the day. That always, you, you closed early. Like you're the only restaurant that's like, hey, we want to stop making money and we're going to close at three. <laughs> and people always like, I can't believe we closed at three. I'm like, I respected it. I loved it. I guess I was curious about the early decisions you guys made as you guys decided to build this restaurant and you know how much of them ring true today. We were searching for sourcing early on, though we didn't open with local in 99. Things have changed so much from back then. I was just telling the story just yesterday, actually. When we were, Eric and I would always talk about sourcing, you know, we started to get educated about, you know, GMOs and all that. And I think that was one of our first things to ask our suppliers. We were looking for a non-GMO oil and uh, couldn't find it. Like we went to food shows and we would go to the oil manufacturers and ask them about non-GMO oil. And literally they would look at us like we were on crack. Like, what is that? What are you talking about? Or they just didn't want to talk about it. You know, who knows? But, you know, now it's a thing, right? Same with just talking to the local farmers. You know, we'd go down to the farmer's market and talk to some of the local growers and they wanted to sell us a case of eggs for $50 when I was paying $11 for conventional eggs. And so the dynamic between farmers and ranchers and restaurants has really evolved to where the relationship is much closer. And I think the ranchers and farmers really have learned how to succeed at pricing at a level where it's also sustainable for the restaurants to source. It makes it a very symbiotic relationship. We're still on sourcing projects. You know, we're always trying to find something else that we can add to the list. I don't know if you realize this, but we use Bassey Farms from Fredericksburg for our jalapenos during the growing season. So Fredericksburg, Central Texas, Hill Country jalapenos are used exclusively at Taco Deli between June and October. And that's it. You won't find another jalapeno in-house. 
that's the only jalapeno that will chop, will cut for our pico de gallo, that we'll put in our recipes, and that we'll make the salsa dough with. I mean, they're so good. I mean, this feels good because we've we've known these guys for years now. Now they're going to look at growing uh, poblano peppers for us this next season and some serrano peppers. So they're going to do some test plantings for us this this coming year. What were you guys thinking as you guys were getting this started? And what was the ambition around it? I always felt that we wanted to grow. You know, Eric joined me about six months after I opened. I invited him to kind of partner up with me a few years after that. But he's been helping build the business all along. And I think we both always wanted to expand our business. You know, it took us a while. The first one was uh, 99. But the second one after the Spyglass location was in 05. And then the third one was in 2010. And then we did two in 2014. And then we kind of sped it up. So now we're at 11 restaurants. But I think we always wanted to make this a, a lifelong endeavor. You know, I love the business for my reasons. Eric loves the business for his reasons. And, you know, we're, we're very complimentary of each other. You know, after 21 years, he's, he's like a brother to me, but it's still a very functional partnership and relationship. So we've been very fortunate. When you created the restaurant, was your thought like, hey, no one's creating tacos like this, so I have an opportunity? Or, or how were you thinking about it? I think you kind of nailed it on the head, frankly, because uh, back then there was very little in the way of taquerias. There were some, but you would have to go to East Austin in a neighborhood where there weren't Mexican immigrants or fourth generation Texans of Mexican descent. It just wasn't in the mainstream, if you will. So I wanted to do something kind of unique, but I also wanted to make sure that it was something that I wanted to eat personally. And that's kind of where, where it got going. And back then there was very little. My first experience when I moved from Mexico City to Austin was Taco Bell, if that tells you anything. I remember Taco Cabana when I got here. And I was like, I had one and done, dude. We got one in Atlanta when I moved there after UT. And uh, there were a bunch of expats that moved out there. My buddies uh, and I were so excited that TC was there because we can get bean and cheese tacos. <laughs> were you doing restaurants after you graduated or was this your first kind of venture into it? I went to uh, Mexico, to Cancun, and I did a basically an internship. And I, I worked in uh, a Gran Turismo hotel down there, Fiesta Americana Condesa. I went through all their kitchens, bakery, butcher shop, their hot kitchen, their prep kitchen. They had a staff kitchen for the cafeteria. They had a fine dining kitchen. They had a palapa bar, you know, beachside, poolside restaurant. So I went through all those kitchens. I learned a ton. So, I mean, I had that experience on the culinary side. Now I worked in, uh, in the food industry through high school, just a little bit here and there. And then I was in the B1 and spirits business calling on bars and restaurants in Atlanta. After spending five years there, I decided to, to venture out and do my own thing. Your dream was like, hey, I, I've been in the food. I, there's not just a lot of taqueria options. I'm going to create, you know, high quality tacos in Austin, Texas. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it goes a little deeper than that. My dad was always talking about, we'll bring Mexican food to Austin and we'll, we'll show everybody what true Mexican food is all about. And he was saying that when I was 10 or 11 years old, right after we moved. And that seed got put in here and it just stayed there. And when it was time to make a decision on what to do, I asked my dad, I'm like, okay, I'm ready. In other words, loan me some money, Dad. <laughs> He's like, uh, no way. He said, uh-uh, you need to go get some experience, go get a job, and maybe we can talk in about five years. Wow. And uh, that's how it worked out. 
he was an accountant, so he was never going to jump feet first into this. So I, I guess I had to do it. What I would tell people is you just get ready and hang on because it's a ride. I mean, you're going to go for a ride. There were times early on where I didn't know if I was going to make it. And so financially, be prepared to weather some storms. You know, I was 29 years old when I opened. So I think I threw caution to the wind a little bit more than most people. But I always had the faith that things would work out. I never doubted for a second that we wouldn't continue to grow and succeed at what we were doing. And to me, for my business, for my industry, it really matters to treat our customers extremely well, to be as welcoming as we can, to be customer service oriented. Same goes with our staff. We try to treat our staff the same way because, you know, they're the ones that have the contact with our customers. So the customer service messaging is, is multi-pronged, if you will. But going back to your question, I think if you're going to jump in, I, I think preparation, having the vision that you what, what you want to do is is important. You know, finding partners that you like and that you want to build something with, I think is also important. I think going solo is very hard. You know, I flew solo for a little bit. I had a, an, an original partner from Mexico City, a buddy, my dad's that uh, was absentee. You know, he was in Mexico City and I was here operating. And it was really literally like I did not have a partner. Great guy, love him to death. And my dad and him had a very, very close relationship. It wasn't helping the business. It wasn't helping me. It was very stressful. But getting somebody that can be there with you and if you're lucky to have complementary skill set that helps you kind of balance things out, for me, it was a very key thing to be able to to lean on Eric. One thing that you know that I find fascinating about your guys' business is that I, I would say every company, including our own, is always like, we care about the customers. We care about our employees. We love them. But then you go to the restaurant and you're like, you don't care about me. And I can clearly see you don't give a fuck about your employees. Yeah, feeling the love, huh? No, but you, <laughs> I truly believe you guys do. Because I know as a, when I go to the restaurants and no taco place delivers the tacos to your table as a casual restaurant, right? That's not normal. Well, thank you for saying that because that, it means that we've reached a goal of we've accomplished what we set out to do. And if you notice when you go to the restaurant, we, we don't give you a little number to take to your table. We don't yell out the number over an intercom or we take your first name and we call your name out and we go look for you. And what that has helped us do has been to encourage the interaction between our staff and our guests. And, you know, a lot of our team members have developed longtime friendships. I mean, some of them have fallen in love with people that they've dealt with. I mean, one of our guys got married <laughs> to a customer. So, I mean, we promote the interaction with our guests so that people do feel like they have someone that they know when they come in. And, you know, we've always really encourage us to try to make our guests feel at home. Like we invited them to our own dining room or, or living room. That's what we shoot for. So hopefully we're accomplishing that more times than fewer. <laughs> so. Well, I was curious about your first customer interactions and what is other restaurants like? How are you able to instill that in your, in your staff and in the business? Because I, I think most operators of a restaurant or any business want that as well, but you guys are actually doing it. I'm trying to figure out the difference. And also, I'm curious, do you remember some of your first customers that came in? Oh, yeah. I actually ran into John Lyons yesterday. He was my second customer. 
he always reminds me of it. <laughs> He's a great guy. He comes in religiously. I had another really good friend that unfortunately has since passed, but they were neighbors, strangely enough, for a little while. Mike Smith and John Lyons were neighbors for a little bit. And Mike Smith was a another friend of my dad's that became one of my dear friends. And he came in initially to support me because he was trying to do my dad a favor. Hey, I'm going to go support Roberto. And and he used to be in the restaurant business. So he kind of knew the way. He knew his way around. And, and he'd always check in on me, see how we were doing, what our numbers were like. And he kept coming in. This Mike. And I'm like, one day I'm like, hey, Mike, man, I appreciate you coming in, but don't feel like you have to come in every day, man. He goes, no, 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 man. I mean, at first I was coming in just because I didn't want to kind of show support, but your food is so good. I'm, I keep coming back. I can't help it. And then John Lyons uh, was coming in almost as frequently. And the joke became that Mike Smith was our number one customer and John Lyons was our number two customer. And it pissed John off so bad. <laughs> But he, he definitely is probably our number one now. He's in there all the time. So he would be one. And that's so funny that you asked me these questions. because I just saw him yesterday and this conversation came up and he asked me, do you remember who the first guy was? Literally just yesterday. And I said, you know what? I don't recall who the first guy was, but I remember you. And here you are, you know, 21 years later. How did you guys get, not get kind of tempted by the devil? So you, you started the restaurant. You had customers and now like all these people are starting to come in. This is before, you know, I think we take it for granted. This is before Yelp and Google reviews and blog posts about things. When you got the restaurant going, you probably thought like, wow, this is working. Like people are, I'm coming in, we're making profit. But I was always kind of like, ah, I wonder why they don't, they're not trying to like, ah, oh, we got to, you know, like Torchies, which, you know, they went crazy on trying to grow their restaurants. I was always impressed by your, uh, the way you approached it. I think that that was your goal from day one to sell. I think that their stated goal was let's build it up and let's sell it. And they, they built a hell of a business. I mean, they just got a crazy valuation and I think they're they're doing pretty well. For us, it was always more about building something that we can be proud of and have as a place that we could work. But it's something that we've always been passionate about. We love our business. We love to have the team that we have. You know, we like hiring people that can contribute and it's a pretty exciting thing. It really is. I mean, you know, you work with great people in your life, so it's pretty fulfilling to have a common goal and, and move towards it. Do you think that's what's kind of kept you on the pace? I guess, how did you choose your pace of like how many restaurants we want to do and how we want to expand or not? Do we have enough in the bank? <laughs> so we pretty much have self-funded throughout the years. So we're not in debt to anybody. I mean, we have some bank debt, but we try to kind of do most of it ourselves. And so if you're financing your growth through your own pocketbook, then there's going to be a limiting factor. I asked you years ago, I was like, let me give you money. I'd love to see this in California when I was visiting. <laughs> and there's people that have tried to copy it, but you don't really see a lot of like gourmet breakfast tacos or breakfast, you know, great tacos in general that have made a chain like you guys have. And, you know, there are a few players in town that are starting to grow. And I don't know what their finances are. You know, Veracruz Al Natural started to grow some additional units. They, I think they might be up to four or five. Generally speaking, I don't really see many others besides, you know, what Torchies did, Veracruz. I think there's another group in town called One Taco. They're starting to grow a little bit. But, you know, everybody has their own their own way of doing things. So people used to ask me all the time about Torchies. Like there was just a natural kind of comparison that people made or 
there's a, an inclination for people to kind of pitches against each other. Yeah, was it Torchies or Taco Deli? And our style of food and our style of service was so different that it never really rang true for me. And, you know, I think everybody just kind of picks what they want to do and chooses what how they want to do it. And, and they kind of stick to it. And that's what we've done. So it's worked for us. You know, we have the six restaurants here, four in Dallas and Plano, and then the one in Houston. In the 21 years so far, what have been, I guess, some of the, the milestones or inflections to where you are today? I mean, my wife, I met my wife at Taco Deli. <laughs> we had mutual friends, so we ended up meeting separately. But the first time I met her was at the restaurant. Did she order or what was happening? She was there with a, her then boyfriend. You know, we just met and that, that was very casual. She and a mutual friend of mine had met and he knew that she lived right close to Spyglass. So he's like, man, you got to go down there and say hi to Roberta. And so they did. She and her, her ex-boyfriend came down and ate. And then fast forward maybe six months to maybe eight months and she'd broken up with that boyfriend and we kind of connected and, you know, we ended up dating and now we have a six and a four year old. Don't bring your, your significant other if you're about to have Taco Deli. You know, one of these people might steal your girl. <laughs> Is she the Heather on the menu? Is she named on the menu at all? No, she's not. She's never had a Heather because she doesn't like that. There's a taco named Heather. How does someone get named a taco after them? How did they make it to the menu? Helping kind of create something. So we have the Heather, we have the Jess special, and we have the auto. So those are the three named tacos. And believe me, I hear it from a lot of friends. Once you name a taco after me, like, well, give me something to work with here, man. I'm not going to just put a name on a taco. Some people want statues. Some people want college buildings. All I'm asking, Roberto, when I pass, <laughs> but I need to corroborate. I'll work on, on what my ingredients would be. I'll put it in the will. I love it. Well, hon, these three people, were they significant in the in the story? Sure. Uh, well, Heather was a regular and she was a vegan, though she ate cheese. And we used to have a taco called the Frijolero. Instead of a bean and shredded cheese, we used the refried black beans with the grilled old queso fresco. And then we throw that on the flat top and it kind of griddles and toast and it gets kind of nice and gooey and it's got a crust on the outside. And then we put that on top of the refried black beans. That was a frijolero. Over time, it just kind of became what it is today with lettuce, tomatoes and guacamole. And I hadn't seen her in years, but every once in a while, she still pops into a re one of the restaurants and she, she'll say, hey, I'm Heather of the Heather Taco. And I'm sure that Roberto would want to buy me a taco. <laughs> and of course, the staff is very, very accommodating. They usually take care of her. But then the other one that's special, Jess was a neighbor, actually funny enough, also that lived in that same complex where John Lyons, Mike Smith, and my parents lived. And he used to ride a bunch. He was a big roadie. And he would go on these monster rides. I mean, he was riding like 60 miles, 70 miles, and come back from his rides. And instead of going straight home, he'd peel off his spyglass and order Amigas out of avocado. And he did that like three, four times a week. And finally, he'd walk in and his nickname was, was Jess, not even his first name, but his nickname was Jess for some reason. And we're like, oh, hey, the Jess special for Jess. Yes. And so that stuck. But Diotto is a really special one because he's a very close dear friend of mine. And I was best man at his wedding and very culinary inclined. He's a hell of a cook. We always have a great time talking food. And he lived out of Newport. He moved from Austin and then he moved to Newport. And I went out to hang out one weekend and he's like, man, we got to go to this place I really love. 
their beans are awesome. And I've got this thing going on that I kind of get all these things on the side and now make this taco and you're going to love it. I'm like, all right, let's go. And so we get to this little joint and he orders a bowl of beans, tortillas on the side, a side of avocado, bacon and cheese. Like he really just a la carte orders all this stuff. Basically makes an auto taco right then and there. And he gives me one. And I'm like, yeah, that's pretty good. And I said, man, can you imagine this taco with our beans? And he goes, exactly. That's why I want you to taste it. Because I think your beans would be freaking awesome, man. And so we came back, or I came back, and I'm talking to a buddy of mine, Joel, that used to chef with me all for years and years and years. I'm like, Joel, we got to try this taco, man. And so we go in the kitchen and we make the taco and we're both like, this is fucking good. We go to the to our office, which was next to the restaurant back then. And we're like, Daniel and Daniel used to do our facilities and did some accounting for us. And, and they're in the back. And we're like, y'all need to taste this taco. And they taste the taco. And they're like, yeah, that's pretty good. And then we're like, good. It's fucking awesome, man. And we're like, we're going to put this on the menu and we're going to call it the auto. And both of them are like, right like that's gonna do anything like no seriously we're gonna overrule you guys we're putting somebody's name on the menu and it's the auto and to this day it's top three top two in our pmix week after week month after month it's one of our top selling tacos of all time it's one of my go-to it's oh i i eat one almost every day is the uh, is the number one cowboy cowboys uh usually top one yeah yeah cowboys i think that's like a signature one of your guys one thing I just wanted to highlight that you did really well is this is something that applies to all businesses. Like you have your core stuff, but then you're still experimenting with like your weekly specials. And then the specials that are pop, I noticed that you guys make them kind of regulars. I guess I was trying to think about if you were to run like a Chinese restaurant or like I were to give you like a software business. So like, I'm like, Roberto, here's a, uh, you know, an e-commerce store. Like you're now selling, maybe your e-commerce is a food thing or it could be like t-shirts. I guess I'm trying to think about some of the fundamentals or principles that I, I admire so much in you guys that that other people can learn from? Because I think you guys do something very special and how you guys do it with Taco Deli. One thing that I think we've done well over the years, and, and maybe it's a fault, but I think it's worked for us, is that we can be a little bit slow. We can be kind of methodical about things that we do. So I feel that we think through things a lot. Like I say, I think that could be a fault, but for us, it's worked. I'll give you an example of one of our top-selling uh, daily specials since you bring it up. I had the idea of doing the scallop taco back in the day. I mean, this is back in like 03. And I was stewing on that idea for over a year. And it's very simple execution. It's a very simple taco. And I didn't know if it would be right. I didn't know if it was kind of in the lane like I was talking about before. And then finally, after I had enough time to kind of think through it, I told Eric, I said, dude, I think we're going to do a scallop taco. And he's like, huh, a scallop taco. Like, yeah, you know, Mexico, Gallo de Acha, man, it's not that uncommon, but it's not that common either, but certainly not here. And he kind of thought about it. He goes, man, that sounds kind of cool. So I went in the kitchen. I started playing with ingredients. I started, you know, roasting some corn and some peppers and it worked out. Right now we're not doing the dailies because of COVID, but we're working towards getting back to that eventually. But the funny thing about that taco is that it, it was a great success and people loved it. And people were like not going to miss a Thursday for the scallop taco. Scallop taco day was Thursday. Interesting thing about it is that those ingredients that we use for the scallop 
which was uh, the roasted veggies, ended up making a cameo and an appearance in the Cowboy Taco. So that one decision did allow us to expand the menu even further and make another really great taco. So I guess to your question, I, I think being methodical and thinking about what you want to do, and in my mind, kind of studying it. And you know, once you get to the execution, you really just have the one shot at doing it right. And so that's something that I feel very comfortable with. I don't mind if things have a slow windup. And to me, I feel more confident about what the decision will be. So I hope in a roundabout way, using a food analogy answers your question. <laughs> so that's what I would do if I was going to go into a Chinese restaurant. I would have to sit on it. I would have to study it. I would have to make sure that I understand it before I just pick up a recipe from great Chinese chefs out there and just start copying recipes. I guess I would say that I would feel like there has to be some substance behind it. No, there's something special that you're bringing to it. I think that's something that I can definitely, that I definitely admire about you and how you and Eric and have run the business. Probably like 10 years ago, I was in therapy. I'm still in therapy from time to time, but I was talking about you and I was talking about Taco Deli and I was comparing it to our business. And that's awesome. Well, cause I think we rush. You want to go. Yeah. And I think sometimes it makes me feel like I'm like grasping or reacting. I'm like, there's not enough maybe, or I, I need it so urgently. And I think that that's what a lot of admiration for, besides the quality of your product is phenomenal. It's just like, I think admi admiration as a business operator, there's a methodicalness, there's a consistency, there's a deliberateness that I aspire to be. I think that's something that why, you know, wanting to connect and share your story so much. Well, that's a great compliment. That really is. I appreciate that. Patience is, is hard. I mean, even when I know that I execute better when I'm slow and think about it, it's still hard. How do you practice your patience? Or do you have a, a challenge or something that I can just be more patient on? I guess just be more patient. I can be impatient, but I feel like I internalize a lot when I'm thinking about things. God, what's that book? Something idea. What do you do with an idea? Yeah, that's it. It talks about having this idea inside of you and then you kind of nurture it and you take care of it. And sometimes you neglect it and then you end up sharing it with the world. And in a way, I, I think that's why I have such an affinity for that book, because I feel that a lot of times I, I internalize some of these thoughts and ideas. And like the scallop taco example that I gave you, you kind of chew on these things, you think about it, and sometimes you guard it kind of selfishly. And you don't want to share it or bring it out just yet because you don't know what people are going to say or how they're going to react to it. So there might be a little bit of tiny bit of insecurity in there and also maybe just a desire to make sure that it's just right when you do bring it out. Once you bring it out, it's out. And so to me, that's a way that I, I think I deal with managing any desire to rush to a decision. I like it, man. Well, I was also reflecting how you also didn't rush into a wife because based on what you told me, it sounds like you're, you're 49 or 50. and I'm 51. And you have kids that are six and four. So that means that like you, you started at 45 and I, I feel like I'm rushing lately to go find a wife and go pop out some, you know, little seedlings. Get some kiddos going. Yeah. Well, she sees that as a character flaw in me <laughs> because we dated for six years and then we finally got married. So I was working on the business and in my heart, I knew that she was going to be my lifelong partner. I never doubted it, but it did 
take a while for us to finally get to that point. But mind you, I was in a growing phase, a very early stage phase of the business. I was busting my ass. I mean, I still do, but back then it was especially true. And it was definitely a slow wind up with her. So she wasn't a fan of it. So I guess with the restaurant and as well with your partner, how did you know when it was right? You know, I just, whatever I knew, we really sank. We really, you know, just felt right. It never felt wrong. I think even though she wished I'd sped up the process, I think she kind of also had confidence and what my feelings were for her. So I think in the end, she understood and she was cool with it. But, you know, and with Eric, I mean, we developed a great friendship. Same like with my wife. I mean, we developed a great friendship before we formalized our partnership. It took, I think it was almost three years before he became my partner and he bought the original partner in Mexico. He bought him out about three years after we opened, maybe a little bit after that. And so with him, it was definitely building a friendship and we understood pretty clearly what our strengths were and how we could help each other out. That was an easy decision. I need a partner. We're going to do this. If I want to do what I want to do with this business, it made a lot of sense. So sometimes you just kind of know. You have that confidence in, in your gut feeling and how you process things. You said this is a lifelong endeavor. I thought that was a beautiful phrase. You know, I was curious for you, what, where did you love it in the beginning? And what is it so much about that's given you fulfillment now? There's an evolution of the relationship that you have with your business. There's no question about it. You know, initially, I really loved busting my ass. I really loved being there till the end. I really loved being there first thing in the morning. I still do some of those things. I mean, I'm still an early bird. I'm still, you know, cool with getting in there and helping the guys, you know, but I try to let everybody do their job now. So the way it has evolved, you know, I think one of the first things I realized after we'd grown to a point where we had a pretty large number of staff was that I really felt like the steward of how we treat our team, what we do to make sure that they're as happy as they can be. If I could pay them, you know, 60,000 a year, I would, but that's just not the reality. So when people are making 15, 16 bucks an hour, you know, you want them to be happy where they are. And so our hourly rate goes up from there. So, I mean, we, we really try to make sure that folks are comfortable. You know, I think most of our team members love what they're doing. They love the business. They love the restaurant business. And so we're kind of lucky on that front. But I think that was one of the first things that in my mind, it, I changed gears to understand that it wasn't just about me going in there and busting ass with the guys. It was really more about what are we doing to take care of these guys? What are you looking forward to in the next uh, X amount of years with uh, with your family as well as with the business? With the family, I mean, I just... I just want my kids to grow up as healthy as they can and be smart and get a good education. And for us, to just kind of continue to be able to spend quality time together. From all my friends that have kids that are now going to college, I mean, like, like you said before, I, did, I didn't get a late start. So all my buddies are like, oh, my gosh, you guys are six and four. We're sending them off. They're out of the nest, man. You know, it, it, I think those times are going to be real precious and, and we just – I just hope that we make a lot of really good memories. With the business, I think the same. I'm really excited about kind of finding opportunities this year. Hopefully that we're able to continue to expand, continue to train new people and bring people on board and kind of rebuild from last year, frankly. I mean, last year was a beatdown. 
you know, I think we're all still licking our wounds and it's not over yet, but, you know, we'll get there soon enough. And so I'm hoping that by the end of the year, we're, we're having a different conversation. But in the meantime, we're trying very hard to do things that feel positive and not dour and negative because we've got plenty of negative shit going around right now. All right, brother. Well, I appreciate the time. I know you got to rock out to see the kids. It was great chatting with you. Yeah, man. You too, bud. Let's try to get together soon. Maybe I'll get back on my bike and get back in riding shape. I'll get up early for you, man. I'd go for a, a morning ride, maybe in a, in a couple of months when it's a little more bright. All right. Well, that's a wrap. I hope you loved the episode. If you did, when you come to Austin, Texas, make sure you eat at Taco Deli. They also have locations in Dallas and I think Houston too. Next, text a friend you love them. Yo, dog, let's cook a meal together. And before you go, tweet at me, at Noah Kagan, and let me know what you thought of this episode. I love hearing from you. Also, remember to go subscribe to my email list. I put my best tips into a single short email each and every week just for subscribers. That's sendfox.com slash Noah. Finally, a couple shout outs to our amazing team. Thank you to jasonpodcasttech.com. He does all the editing for these shows, hiring for your needs, but make sure you leave a little bit left over for me. Thank you to David Mitchell, Jeremy, and Jen from the Dork Team for all of your magic, plus Hubert, who's joined our video editing. And finally, a super huge special shout out to Tina, who's our lead product designer at AppSumo. Thank you so much for making this site look so much better. Have a chill day. What's your favorite COVID activity?